Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 290 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, we made it through the five-year mark. That was a fun week last week. Congratulations to all the winners as we stacked your library. And one of the things I really enjoy doing is interacting with leaders, interacting with listeners. Uh, I'm on the road a ton this fall. Tell you about an event where we can connect in Pittsburgh in just a few minutes. But one of the things I love to do is answer questions. You always have questions. You have some great questions. So starting in October, a few episodes from now, we are going to be adding a bonus to this podcast. At the end, we're doing something that we're calling hashtag Ask Carrie. And so you can go on any social channel, whether that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and just use the hashtag Ask Carrie. Obviously, Twitter's pretty easy for that. So is Instagram. And me and my team will be searching for questions that you ask, and I will select one on every episode to answer. And that will be at the end of the podcast. So that starts in October, hashtag Ask Carrie. So jump on uh, your social media today and start firing your leadership questions my way. And we will start taking them on every episode uh, starting in a few weeks. So hashtag Ask Carrie on any social platform. Would love to hear what's on your brain. I'll do my best to tackle your questions. Okay, so speaking of being on the road and interacting with you, what are you doing October 1st and 2nd? If you're trying to transition a church, the Future Forward Conference has helped hundreds of churches do that over the last few years. I will be at Future Forward Conference along with Sam Collier, Lee Kreitcher, Jason Howard. My wife will be there, Tony. She'll be speaking along with many others. It's for church leaders and church members. You can bring your whole team who are committed to fully engage the next generation in a rapidly changing world. So going to cover a lot of subjects. This is the third of three Future Forward Conferences. You don't want to miss it. And what you can do is head on over to futureforwardchurches.com forward slash the conference to register. Individual tickets are $79, but the price plummets to $59 if you bring a group of five or more. So join me in Pittsburgh, October 1st and 2nd for the Future Forward Conference. And uh, Pro Media Fire has been a partner of this podcast for a while, and I'm so excited that they have just launched Pro Web Fire. So what I know, because most organizations are not large with millions of dollars in budget, most churches and organizations are small. So Pro Web Fire is going to help you in so many ways. Here's how it works. The first step is a strategy session tailored for your church's online expansion plan. So they'll sit down and say, okay, what do you want to accomplish? Then second, the team, after they've heard from you, will build you a new custom website. And this is what's so fun about it, because rather than, oh, here's our templates, which one do you like? They're actually going to consult with you. So it's totally custom. And then the Pro Web Fire team will update the website weekly for you. They'll manage your digital outreach campaign. They'll even create a weekly podcast. It's a brand new partnership that's almost like having staff, except for a fraction of the price. So uh, they also include, just so you know, ongoing consultations with digital outreach experts and new custom website every three years. It's included with your monthly plan. You know how you know, oh, we spent so much money on our website. And then, you know, you don't have that money for another five years. Anyway, things move fast. I think Pro Web Fire is going to change the game for a lot of churches. So we have a special for you. If you head on over to 
prowebfire.com, you will receive a free custom website build for the plan you choose by using the discount code CAREY2019, C-A-R-E-Y, 2019. So use that as your coupon code. Head on over to prowebfire.com. You will get a free custom website build in association with the plan that you choose and act now because the special goes away at the end of this month. So prowebfire.com, use the coupon code CARRY2019. Well, I'm really excited to have today's guest back on the podcast. Max Lucado is one of the best-selling authors of this generation period. He's written approximately 12 million books. Um, no, that's over 100 though. And uh, Max and I got together a couple of years ago on this podcast. We had such a great time. It was, it was so good. Uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. And we're talking about the season of life he's in, what he's learning, some of his rhythms and disciplines. And uh, I love picking the brains of people who have accomplished so much with their lives. And uh, even though we've never really met in person, Max has uh, quickly become a friend. You're going to love this conversation with best-selling author, pastor, leader, Max Lucado. Well, Max, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, it's great. It's great. I think you just, you're the best at this. You wow. really are. You make it painless. I don't and, know uh, about that. I enjoy it a lot. Do you? But well, I feel I like we, we've only spent, I think we spent a couple hours together, including the interview last time, but you just have a very natural way about you that makes you, I feel like I've known you for years. Do you get that a lot? I, I, people, um, people often ask, uh, you know, like at a church service or if they've been reading my books, a lot of times they'll start, do you they'll start the conversation. Uh, do you mind if I call you Max? I feel like you're a Max. You know, I don't, I don't fit the pastor, Reverend, or even the Mr. Uh, and I, I, I take that as, uh, that makes me feel good. I'm happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, yeah, I'm really glad and some great insights. I was saying to you, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. But one of the things I've shared with a lot of leaders just personally in my dialogue with them is your comment uh, when you were going through a stressful time in leadership about uh, being counseled that you needed to do something that had no consequences. So you took up golf just as, okay, if I blow it on the golf course, <laughs> it doesn't really matter, right? And yeah, you're, yeah. That, that was just huge. What difference has yeah. that made in your life? Well, well I think uh, it... it I tend to be competitive. Uh, I, I like uh, goal setting uh, and, and, uh, and to impose that upon ministry is not always a good fit uh, because, because the, the uh, challenge in church work is goal setting and, uh, and competition. Uh, I, I'm not sure either one of those really uh, causes us to lean on, into the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I would tend to take that mindset and and impose it upon the church or impose it upon my projects, and I could become uh, kind of ruthless. So what my doctor suggested that I do, and this has been over 20 years, so he said, you need something that is competitive, but that has no consequence to it. You know, that, that if, you, if you succeed, great, feel good for the day. If you don't make any, you know, if you blow it, that's okay. Your wife's not going to ask anyway, you know. And so uh, I, I found that uh, that many of the guys that I know and gals that I know who are wired like that uh, need that type of uh, uh, outlet where we can just go crazy at something. Uh, maybe it's a, uh, for some, I, I've got some friends who do the wall climbing thing. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I know you're into biking. 
I yeah. did biking seriously for many years and uh, competitively, you know, or, or at least to set a goal or entered in events. And it took care of it. It, it seems to lift that, that desire. Uh, it, it quenches that thirst for me. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I don't know that we talked about this last time or not, but when I took up cycling, I have lots of friends who do that and we're in an ideal area. Like literally people oh, drive Oh, you up. are. Yeah. You are. Wow. It's beautiful here for that. And uh, they wanted me to start riding in Pelotons and with group rides. And I don't know, I didn't think about it, but like I, I just decided I was not going to do that early on. And it was later, like years later that I'm like, oh, I know why. I'm doing this for me. And if I make it competitive... Then it starts to feel like I got to keep up with these guys. I got to be in better shape. And uh, my little Strava bio is riding for fun beats the gym. That's it. That's <laughs> all it says. So, yeah. And I have like 98 followers on Strava. And it's amazing because I, you know, you have so many followers elsewhere. It's like, no, this is great. This is my little corner of the world where I get to be by myself. And golf's been that for you, hasn't it? It has been. It has yeah. been. You strike me as a guy who's always on the cutting edge of technology. Are are well, you? Weren't you early on and early? Are you an early adapter in uh, like podcasts and social media? And did, did does, am, am I picking that up right? Yeah, when you said uh, early, I, I yeah. up, you said Strava, and I, uh-huh. that's something I've never heard of, and that doesn't surprise me. You strike me as a kind of guy who's out there doing things that yeah, I've been on Strava for a while. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm, it's funny because the first three, like I was on Instagram. I think I joined that in 2010 when there was actually, <laughs> there was a hipstagram. Like, I don't know whether anyone remembers that, but hipstagram and Instagram were competitors and nobody knew who was going to win. And so I was on both. And then hipstagram just, I think it lasted three months, but Instagram has become what it is today. Uh, but I remember when there were only like two filters on Instagram. So yeah, I tend to jump on early and I spend too much money on technology. That's but, all right. No, that's yeah. good. We, we need people like you. You remind me of Michael Hyatt. You probably oh, yeah. know Michael. I do know, you know Michael. Yeah. I, I, can, I can remember, oh my goodness, maybe 2013, 2012. And I got a, a phone call from Michael and he said, Lakato, I see you're not even on Twitter. And, and I said, what? And he said, you need to be on Twitter. And I had no clue what Twitter was. And uh, I've always admired people like you and, and Michael who bring the rest of us along. Uh, it's not that we don't want to do it. It's just we don't pay attention. We're clueless. Yeah. Well, I, I try to surround myself with a lot of younger people and you? younger leaders. And so they'll be pointing out where I'm <laughs> rather archaic, although... You know, if you if I took you upstairs at my place, uh, I've, my home theater system, and I never thought I'd get there. It's a time thing. Like I've got a good theater system. People, a lot of people are better, but like there are too many remotes, <laughs> and I know I can put them all on one, but like I just do uh, not have the time or the energy to yeah. bother. So now, when my twenty seven year old comes home, he's a computer engineer. I'll say, uh, can you can you fix that? So I'm becoming the uh, stereotypical old man with a blinking VCR. Or the blinking microwave clock, right? So, anyway. Hey, a heads up when you when you get to be old like me, it's very easy to surround yourself with younger people. <laughs> That's great. Actually, you know, this isn't in the script, Max. But you, we were talking before we started recording. Uh, you're going off on a on a golf vacation with some friends, right? You're going up to Oregon for a few yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about friendships. Uh, I didn't plan on going there. Those can be really, really hard for leaders. What's been your journey when it comes to 
surrounding yourself with people. Because that's been a battle for me too. Like I think for a lot of us, like developing and sustaining close, meaningful friendships. What's that been like for you? I would would, uh, say that I have desired to have more close friends than I've ever had. I've always had a couple, two or three. I have never had a friendship with somebody who uh, is not a part of my church world and my ministry world. And I thought that would be nice, but I just don't have, I either have not made or don't have the margin to sustain a friendship that's outside of the ministry in the church world. So, uh, but I, I've never felt like I lack, I, I've never felt lonely. Yeah. I, I think I, I think that uh, my good friend, Steve Green, who has represented me in publishing since 1986. Hobby Lobby, Steve Green? No. Sounds just like him. Yeah, there's a Steve Green Hobby Lobby. There's a Steve Green, the singer. Uh-huh. And then there's a Steve Green, who's uh, really, really a great champion of authors, the best agent a person could have. Uh, but he and I have been friends for for since college, oh, and wow. uh, he's a very very dear friend. In fact, just before this interview, he and I were uh, talking about something, and now he's serving as an executive, uh, kind of an interim executive pastor during a time of transition in our church. But uh, 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 golf has been the place where I have uh, been able to build uh, some friendships outside mm-hmm. of ministry. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And so you're heading off with some friends for a few days, which is yeah. which is good and wonderful. And last time we talked, Max, you were still uh, carrying for a season the lead pastor role at your church, but that's changed. You want to bring us up to date on that and, and how yeah. that's going? You're doing something really interesting with your campuses as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, the, uh, the, the broad stroke, I came to this church in 1988. And I served as senior pastor until 19, until 2008. And uh, we brought Randy Frazee here. And Randy did a great job and served us well for uh, almost a decade. And then he moved to Kansas City. And I stepped back in uh, at the age of 64. Well, almost 64. And, uh, and, and thinking, uh, thinking, okay, I'll, I'll, maybe I've got another 10 years in me and I'll, I'll be senior pastor. But Carrie, after about a year, I thought, I don't think I have 10 years in me to do this. And uh, so I went to the leaders and I said, I, I, I know I said uh, that I, I could be counted on for another seven to 10 years, because I think that's a good vision time for me, at least, to, mm-hmm. to cast a vision and implement it. It takes me about seven or 10 years. And I said, I, I'm sorry, uh, I think I think our best play right now is to uh, take the campuses that we have and turn them into churches. We're a seven-campus multi-site, and they're healthy campuses. Uh, all of them were well, nearly all of them were paying their own way, but those that weren't could, with a little bit of challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they had they had good leaders on the campus, and I said I I think we could. Uh, we, we, we called William Vanderblumen, who a lot of us have come to really admire. Uh, Me too. And he came over to San Antonio. I can't endorse him enough. But he came over and spent two or three days with us. And he said, you've got two options. Uh, you can either go out and find a, a, a person who's got the dynamic teaching ability to be the teaching pastor for seven campuses. 
or you might see this as an opportunity to take those campuses and and spin them off into independence. Hmm. And uh, and and so we prayed about it as a leadership team. We talked about it. We weighed the pros and cons. Uh, but it really made sense for us to. We we just couldn't see uh, the 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 value of bringing in a, a, a dynamic communicator. And we're concerned that that communicator might not be able to garner the trust needed uh, to, to lead a multi-site that's, you know, 60 miles away. Yeah. But what was happening too is that the leaders on those campuses who had been campus pastors now for some of them seven or eight years, they were saying, hey, we know how to do this. You know, we know our area, we know our region. Uh, one of them is in another town, uh, you know, 80, 70 or 80 miles away. Well, all of them are either not in another town. They're across town. Uh, and they, they basically said to us, you know, we're ready. We're ready to be a church. Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, there's, that's the way it's supposed to be anyway. Uh, this is a little sooner than we thought, but, but we're ready. So between my realization that it, that at the age of 64, 65, uh, I'm not ready to sign up for another 10-year stint. Uh, and then their realization that we'd like to take a shot at this. Uh, we worked out a, about a 12-month plan. We announced it to the church in September of uh, 2018, and we made our goal to uh, implement the change beginning in September of 2019. And so as of September 1, 2019, two of those campuses will be standalone independent congregations. Hmm. We'll, st- we'll still be sharing some uh, central services uh, like uh, IT and Calm Arts and things that, are, that make financial sense. They'll basically be buying those services from the main campus. But right. in, at some point, they may want to do that on their own. But as far as determining what is preached, what the strategy is, when you're ready to start another church, you know, what's your focus? It's all, it, 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 it's, it's their plan. Uh, Lord willing, we'll have a third campus uh, step into the independent uh, arena sometime in 2020, uh, maybe as early as Easter, but may, there's, there's somewhere between Easter and September. Uh, and then we have a couple of them that are probably just going to stay as other as uh, in this multi-site model with the main campus for the foreseeable future. Uh, we're not quite sure what's going to happen there. So it's it's been it's been a great adventure. I, I think it's it's been a right thing for us to to walk through. Uh, it's 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 had a few more challenges than we thought. Uh, for example, while we have. Uh, a blessing of some great properties, you know, yeah. real estate around the city. Uh, we all owned it together, mm-hmm. right? We all owned it together. And, and so we had to figure out a way to divest that property, oh, yeah. which w- would have been easy, except we also had uh, uh, some debt. Ah. So everybody wants to own the property, right? <laughs> uh, but, but who wants to, to start up a church with some debt? Uh, but we have some really bright folks that uh, were able to come up with a good formula to figure that out. And uh, and it was really a, a working of the Lord, I think, that 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 came about relatively simply. I, I groaned at trying to figure that out. Yeah. But the people who did figure it out, you know, uh, did so. And uh, and and so we've got we've got everything all set up and in motion. And uh, that forgive me for taking so long to answer that question. But it's it's been a big deal. And I do think. That as people, my as ministers, my age or, or of my generation, 
as we get older and we've built, we've been a part of multi-site models and been the primary teacher, uh, that others will be wrestling with what's next, what's yeah. next with our, our multi-site. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and I think that's going to be a question many people are asking. Well, you look at what Matt Chandler's done in spinning Act. his churches off. And uh, I was on a private call with James Emery White from Mecklenburg and Charlotte, and they've done the same thing. And that'll be on the podcast, I think, later this year or next year, yeah. where we'll, uh, we'll do an interview about it. But I appreciate what you said, too. And, and if you don't mind going there, I'd love to, because I think succession is the other big issue, which you are handling, I think, quite well. But you said, you know, yeah, I'm going to do this for 10 to 15 years. And then you kind of realized a year into it, wait a minute, that isn't there. And Max, I'm familiar with that feeling. That happened to me not at 63, but at 50, where I thought, I don't know. And can you talk about that? Like, how did you, and it's not like you're sitting around playing golf all day. You're telling me and we'll get to it. You're (laughs) writing more books. You're writing a whole new children's series of books. So you're not idle. But how did, what was that inside you? Man, that is a great question. Uh, we need you to write a book on going numb. <laughs> hey, how about I do that, Max? How about, how about I turn that into the publisher this week? Yeah, how about that's that? my next book, that? 2020. Yeah. That's a great, and it's such a relevant issue. The, uh, the word picture I used with our leaders was, um, was um, I'm, I put the ladle in the bucket, and I just hear a scraping sound. Uh, it's, it's, it's just not there. And my initial response was denial, uh, like, what do you mean uh, it's not there? Uh, You got to do this. Come on. It's in there somewhere. Uh, You just, maybe I'm not praying enough. Maybe I'm not uh, trying hard enough, but it wasn't there. And how, here's how I knew it wasn't there. And I'd be curious to know how you knew and how you responded. I came to resent uh, my staff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I came, I came to relish. Hey, there's a good little wordplay. Do you relish or resent? You know, I came to I, I, I came to relish and always have my 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 alone time, my study time, my preparation time. I've always loved that. I'll, I'll I can't see ever stopping that. And I'm kind of sad to admit this, but it's just a fact. Uh, when I would get a text or a call or an email from I don't know the Calm Arts guy. Right. We have a great calm arts team, but they'd say, hey, we, we need to know uh, what you think about this hire or this acquisition or this decision. My, imis- my initial thought would be, figure that out on your own. <laughs> Come on, you guys are grown up. Figure that out on your own. Now, when I was in my younger years, when I was, uh, I, think, I think I had more in the tank, or I, maybe, I, maybe it was just a better call. Uh, my call was better suited. I would say, yeah, let's sit down. Let's talk it out. Let's make sure this lines up with our overall vision. Let's, let's work together. Oh, thanks for calling me. Yeah, well, let's meet for coffee. It wasn't there. It wasn't happening. It just wasn't happening. My response was, I want to I study. I want to preach. I don't want to mess with, uh, with these decisions, even, even significant decisions. And so to me, I thought, I cannot. I, I need to be honest. I need, if, and I gave it a good, a good year, Carrie. Yeah. It's not like this was a bad week. Right. Uh, I, I gave it a good year, and it just wasn't happening. And so I said, you know, that's okay. That's okay. Again, I, I refer to uh, William Vanderblumen. Uh, in his book, he talks about the, um, 
the average retirement age for pastors is 64. And that's how old I was. And that just kind of gave me permission. I just needed to hear that because I've heard these stories of guys that I've idolized, like Swindoll, David Jeremiah, uh, uh, Andy, uh, Charles Stanley. Hmm. These guys are cranking it out in their 80s. And I'm thinking, yeah. now that's what I need to be doing. Maybe so. Maybe, maybe. I don't have an explanation for that. But the vast majority of us, something happens in our mid-60s. We need to reevaluate. And, uh, and and so that's that's what happens. I reevaluate. Well, I'm really glad. And thanks for being opening up like that, because I think it's an important conversation. And, uh, you know, burnout or or that can happen. And I think you put the ladle in the bucket, as you say, and everything's empty. Like you're scraping the bottom everywhere. You don't want to write a book. You don't want to go golfing. That's burnout. But I would have a very similar experience to you where even in my late 40s, pushing two decades into senior church leadership, I probably had another five years in my tank. So I could have gone, you know, I'm 54 now, one more year, maybe. Um, But I was getting more irritated and frustrated with day-to-day the running of the church. And there was nothing wrong with our church. We have a great church. We have a great staff. But what used to energize me started to drain me. And again, you think, well, I'm having a bad day or whatever. And then you realize, wait a minute, it's, that's one area of my life. There are other things that are really energizing me. And I wonder if that is a shift in assignment, a sign that you need to pay attention to. And I think you're right. You can push through that on a temporary basis. The other thing that got really fuzzy for me, Max, I don't know if this happened for you, but you, if you asked uh, you know, 39-year-old Carrie, what does the future church look like? Our, our church, I had a very clear answer. If you ask 49-year-old Carrie, what does Connexus look like a decade down the road? It would be like, ah, more, bigger. I mean, I, <laughs> my, my vision just started to, yeah. to move yeah. into other areas. And I think, I wonder if that's a sign from God that it's time to move on. I think that is, I think that is exactly, uh, I think you're reading that correctly. Uh, I, I, I think I think we do need to pay attention to what is giving us energy. Yeah. Uh, there's a great story about you. Remember Pete Sampras, the tennis guy? Yeah, yeah. Pete Sampras, uh, and and I read an article uh, about him. Uh, he after he retired from tennis, and he said that uh, he always had a practice of uh, before he'd go out for a, for a tennis match, he'd be in the locker room or wherever he was getting dressed, lace up his tennis shoes, and he would take both hands and slap the floor. That was his way of saying, okay, it's time. Slap the floor. And he said, I always told myself, if you quit slapping, it's time to retire. And he said, I found myself and I wasn't slapping. I wasn't slapping. And so what, what is it that makes a person slap? There's, I think, a good question. Uh, let's let's not assume that what causes us to slap in our twenties is going to cause us to slap in our sixties. You yeah. know, uh, now I'm I'm still slapping. I, I like this little metaphor we got going here, but I'm still slapping uh, when it comes to uh, creating books. When it message creating, I, I get pumped. I get I get I really do genuinely get excited. But I was not slapping the floor when it came to. Where where's the church need to go? Where does the church mm. need to go? And so I can I can relate. We we need to forgive ourselves for that. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, in fact, it, it might actually be uh, disobedient or wrong to hang on in a position to which you're not called anymore. Because there you go. 
I have tremendous energy for this, conversations with leaders. I have tremendous energy for writing. You know, writing a book isn't easy, but I love it. I'll sign up for book six tomorrow. Um, (laughs) Right? As hard as it is, it's good. There's there's therapy for that, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) 3,042 books in, he says. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I I I think that's very clarifying. And I think often... You know, we can we can phrase it in such a binary way as, uh, well, I'm called to this, so I'm called for life. Or, yeah. And yeah, and your calling is for life, but your assignment might change. You know, I um, I, I read a good quote from, no, actually, I was reading a book by Robert Morris, the pastor at Gateway in the Dallas area, and um, The God I Never Knew. It's a book on the Holy Spirit. And uh, he, he pointed out that the spiritual gifts uh, that the Holy Spirit gives us uh, don't all come upon our day of conversion, and they don't all come for life. Now, I'm probably the last person hearing this who hasn't already realized that. Well, but no, I, I am because you knew that, it before me. Well, it kind of made me pause. It kind of made me pause. I thought, yeah, you know, I feel like uh, the Lord has blessed me with some uh, some things, some abilities that I didn't have back in my twenties uh, and thirties. Uh, that I've realized, and I don't know if they're going to stay around forever, uh, but if the Holy Spirit truly is the ultimate gift giver, if he truly is the uh, one masterminding the church, and he places Carrie in a church, places Max in a church, and he says, I give you this gift to use to glorify God and edify the church. Now, you've used that, and now I'm going to give you this gift. We're gonna, I, I want you to be aware of this and, and, and give you this ability uh, and this strength and this capacity, you hear what I'm saying? I, I yeah, think I part of walking in step with the Spirit is being open to the idea that He's going to give us new interests and new capacities. Uh, again, we're not talking about, am I going to stay a Christian? Am I going to be faithful? Yeah, yeah, am I yeah. love Christ? I still believe in the gospel. But it's how I'm going to use uh, my strengths. Now, I, I just one other little thought on this. I'm very sympathetic with uh, guys like you and guys like me who find ourselves with the ladle at the bottom of the bucket or we're unable to slap the floor, but we don't have another source of income, yeah. uh, practically speaking. Uh, you know, I've, I write books, and so I had I've, I, 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 that pressure wasn't there. And so I'm, I'm sympathetic to anybody who could be hearing this broadcast saying, yeah, that was easy for you, Locato. But I don't, I don't have a plan B, and i got to pay for my – I've got tuition coming up. And so um, you might have some thoughts on that. Yeah, it is interesting, and it wasn't uh, – I haven't sold quite as many books as you have, Max, but um, <laughs> I'm kidding, not even close. <laughs> Uh, so there was, there was a pay cut involved, but I did have some other income. Uh, not enough that my future was guaranteed. I still had to work, uh, you know, to provide for my family. And we had two kids in university uh, four years ago, and uh, they were in very expensive programs. And we were definitely contributing in a massive way to that. Uh, but I, I can just say, you know, God provided. And I know that sounds like the most cliche answer in the world. But when I jumped in and this little hobby of doing podcasts and everything kind of took off, um, you know, now, now it's, uh, I'm, I'm not worrying about money day to day, but I think, I think that is one of those things. And there's a danger, Stephen Manfield, we talked about different books. I think that's his name. It'll be right in the show notes, wrote a book called, um, 10 signs of a leadership crash. And this is like, why do not just pastors, but 
bankers and executives, like why are all these moral failures and they make terrible decisions and they destroy their lives? Why do they do that? And one of the signs is staying in a leadership position out of season. And Mm. he had done some research and discovered that sometimes it's like six months too long and you start to get bored. You start to make bad decisions and I think that could happen. So you have to think about, well, what happens to me and what happens to the church or what happens to the company or the organization if I stay too long? So I think it's a really important conversation, Max, and you've added some some layers to it. And and thanks for your transparency on that. And I think what I would do is, is try to investigate as much as possible. Okay, if it's not this, then what? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it that I go and work retail or do I start something or do I take my my skills and and do something else because I don't think you can just use the church or your company as a, a self-serving mechanism. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I, I, I do know, I do know some pastors who, who went through a season of exhaustion and then they got into a different career. I'm thinking of one good friend of mine who uh, uh, got into sales and enjoyed a great kind of second uh, chapter career and uh, and now that he's uh, retired from selling computer equipment, he is a part of a church startup and having the time of his life. And so that that kind of that initial calling is back, and and he's able to use it. Uh, and and it's he's just wiser with it. And and so I guess I'm saying that to say that that it, just stepping away doesn't mean that you're you know abandoning a call. It may mean just a taking a break from it, and and it'll come in another maybe another expression down the line. Well, looking back over your decades in leadership, what would you say, and this has been a good conversation so far, but what would be some of the other major challenges? Like if you had a couple that you're like, wow, yeah, this one showed up or this was a season that I didn't know how I'd get through. What were some of the challenges you faced in leadership over the decades? I I would be certainly more careful um, in in staff building and staff investing. Uh, you know, I've already acknowledged that my favorite thing is sermon preparation and sermon presentation. There are some folks, some good friends of yours and mine, they love building a team. They just, their, their dream day is one coffee after another, one visit after another, one planning session after another. And, and I certainly admire those folks. And, and for me, that was always a challenge. I felt, uh, like I didn't, I, I felt like I didn't succeed in that area as well. What I, what I would do differently um, when I came to the church in 1988, uh, we we were a three person staff. One was an evangelism focus. One was a youth focus, and then we began hiring worship education, uh, kind of building out a team like that. I should have hired a a right hand man, a right hand mm-hmm. woman. I should have gone immediately to a great executive pastor. That's that's what I should have done. Uh, somebody who could really help me build that team. And and looking back, I, I think I think uh, I, I I would like to have done that. I think that would have spared me uh, some uh, sleepless nights and and spared our staff some some because uh, as I look back, I I didn't have that go to person. Uh, everybody was. There was Max, and then there was ten of us. You know, yeah, everybody was right. Everybody was reporting to Max. It was a terrible organizational structure. That could have been uh, a lifesaver for me. 
What did that do to you when you didn't have that right-hand person? I come out of a small church background. And, and at the time, uh, our, our affiliation was with a, a denomination that is primarily smaller churches. And so I didn't have a place to go. I, I didn't have, my world wasn't quite big enough, Carrie. This, some, of your, some of the people are going to find this hard to believe, but I didn't attend conferences. I uh, wasn't listening to podcasts. Yeah, I kind of yeah. had, had a small world of churches that were our size and even smaller, uh, four or 500 people. And so I didn't have a model. I, I didn't, I did not have a model, somebody I could look at and say, oh, here's what you do when you get to be 800. Oh, here's what you do when you get to be 1,000. Here's what you do when you get to be 1,500. So I was still leading the church at the side when we got to be, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 people. I was still trying to do everything like I did when we were four and 500 people. <laughs> I was making myself available to everyone on staff. I was still trying to meet with anybody in the church who wanted to meet with me. I, I was just, I, I had no clue uh, how, to, how to redefine myself. Is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If I yeah. Reinvent, reinvent myself, maybe. And I do think that we have to, at different levels of growth, uh, reinvent ourselves. And, and I just, I wish I could have done it better. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, again, it's one of those things you look back and you say you did the best with what you knew at the time. <laughs> And, and, and God was gracious and the church was still happy and growing, but it was taking its toll on me. I think when we first had our vi we had one of our earlier podcasts, I shared uh, the battle of what I had with insomnia, yeah. uh, like in my late, late 30s, and it got really serious. Uh, and boy, that, that is a gray cloud I wish upon nobody, that insomnia. Mm. Uh, and then just the stress of overcommitment. Uh, it took a toll on our family. Uh, my wife spiraled into a season of depression, and I think it's because she had uh, three small children, and one of whom was in diapers, and her husband was on the road all the time. Yeah. And so it was a it was a challenging season for our family, uh, and and uh, it took its toll on us. What are some of the best decisions you've made? Mm. Yeah. You ask such great questions, by the way. Golly, just tell me if I get too long-winded. This on these. is great, Max. I love it. Yeah, and you're so you're so transparent. It makes it well, so refreshing. You get to meet the man behind the the books <laughs> that everybody's read and the messages that we've heard. Well, I was 38 years old. I'd been at Oak Hills at our church. I came here at the age of 33. Uh, by the age of 38, I think I got I, at the age of 38. I got a serious case of uh, arrogance, wow. uh, and I, I I went to our elder board with a list of, uh, I think it was five things we needed to change to become a relevant church. Now I'm 33. Most of our elder board at the time were in their mid fifties, early sixties. They kind of took me under their wing. They liked me, but here I come swaggering in with the, these list of things, everything that had to do carry from I can't even recall the list right now. I know it, I wanted to change our worship style. I wanted to change the name of our church. I wanted to change uh, our, our view, our, our understanding of the role of women in the church assembly. Uh, I had about five hot button issues. And so I thought, I'm so smart. I've got it all figured out. And so I, I, I had a list and I came in and I sat down with the, that elder board on a Wednesday night and I said, here's what we should do. And much to their credit, seven or eight guys, seven or eight men, 
They didn't kick me out of the room. Much to their credit, they said, well, we're going to think about this and pray about this. And I can't remember. I want to say they said, let's take two weeks or something. Yeah. So they brought me back in on the given date and uh, they said, you know, Max, we've talked about this. We've all talked with each other. Some of us have talked to you. Uh, and But we've come to a unanimous agreement. These are good ideas, but not yet. That was their statement. I can still remember them saying, these are good ideas, but not yet. Well, that was really, I think, looking back, pretty wise. They had their finger on the pulse of the church. Uh, but I took personal offense at it. Uh, and, and, and I just said, uh, hmm. and I, and I got in a huff, I got angry. Uh, at the same time that was happening, I had been given an invitation to move to another city and take a, a role at a different church. Mm-hmm. I'd actually gone and interviewed at another church. Not, I had not told them. And so I thought, okay, it's time. That's my sign right there. Well, the next day, uh, I had lunch with a friend here in San Antonio, Texas, who at the time was a pastor of a church, and uh, and he and I met on a once-a-month basis. We met for a hamburger, and uh, I expressed my frustration to him. He and I were about the same age. Uh, I just knew he was going to be very sympathetic to me. I told him how the church didn't appreciate me and how uh, I, I have outgrown this church. You know, I need to move on. Who knows what language I used? But he was not sympathetic with me. Here's what he said. He said, Max, uh, do, they, do they still let you preach the gospel at that church? And I said, what do you mean do they let me? He said, can you talk about Jesus and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Can you talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and the promise of heaven? And I said, yeah, I could do that. I, I mean, I could do that every day. They love for me to do that. He said, you stay at that church until you cannot preach the gospel. You stay where you are. All these are secondary issues you're talking about. The primary issue is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. As long as you can preach the gospel, then you just learn to agree to, uh, agree to disagree about a few things. And I took that as a, as, as a word of, of knowledge from him. And I went home and I told my wife, I said, honey, we're staying here. We're just going to stay here. And I am so glad I did. I am so glad. It's been, it's, there's, it's just been wonderful. And I love, I love this church and I love, uh, the privilege that's been mine to stay in one place for a long time. I'm so glad I did not leave. And so that, that's the best decision I made. And that's always been my rule. If they ever tell me I can't preach about Jesus, which I mean, the earth is going to collapse before they do that. I know these (laughs) folks, but that could happen at some church somewhere. Uh, I would leave if they told me I couldn't preach the gospel. Of course, yeah. But I think the rest of it I can put up with. And you know what? Each one of those things, by the way, has come to has has happened. All all yeah. of those things I suggested, they they over time we've tra- gradually transitioned into them. We didn't split the church. We didn't drive people away. It was not a big thing of controversy. And so they they were they did their job. They they mm-hmm. shepherded a young pastor. Uh, through a kind of a rebellious time. What are some of the fruits of, uh, well, three, 31 years in the same place? One of the fruits is that it forces me to uh, preach uh, on topics that I have never preached on. 
there, I, I sat down about two years ago when, when I was going through this transition and, and I, I uh, knew I was going to stay on as a teaching pastor, even though we were transitioning the churches to independence. Uh, and so I thought, okay, I get kind of a fresh shot at creating some sermon series. And so I th- are, are there any big topics I've never preached on? And I had never really preached on uh, last days, last hmm. days. I had never tackled uh, some of the topics that some of my guys, friends and gals, they jump at, you know. I'd never preached on the book of Daniel or the book of Revelation. And so I put a series of sermons together on the book of Daniel, and I loved doing that, and I learned a lot. Uh, I had never preached an extended sermon series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, how, ca- how could you preach for 30 years and neglect preaching on one of the members of the Trinity? But I had. And so I'm starting that in September, uh, about a 13 weeks, a 12 week series on the Holy Spirit. And so that's a benefit is that it, it forces me to uh, go into areas that I had not gone into. And, uh, and then, then a second benefit is, is just the uh, season of legacy of, of being respected, of, of, of being respected in the sense that I can, I can stand before our church without any apology. They know everything about me. Uh, I tried to disclose the mistakes that I've made. It's a, it's a pastoral role that I think is comes through years and seasoned. Uh, they, they love my wife. They know my kids. My daughter it does, uh, is often invited to speak at our church, but two of my three daughters have been invited. And so that's beautiful. And so I would say that those two things, one is the opportunity to, and the challenge of preaching on topics I've never preached on. And then number two, just the sweetness of a, of a, of a respected legacy. That's uh that's so rich. So switching gears a little bit, uh, getting ready for this interview. I don't know how I got there, but I uh, clicked on your website and saw a really interesting set of guidelines for how you book your speaking. You, you have a very unusual process, well, unusual, a unique from what I've seen process where uh, you really set your calendar only a year in advance and kind of all at once. So can you talk about what that is and then why you structure it that way? Yeah. Uh, when, if somebody says, will you come and speak at our conference or our event? I'll, I'll say my response is uh, I make those decisions in August of the year prior. For example, for for the schedule, making the schedule for 2020, I made the decisions in August of 2019. That meant that I collected speaking requests since August of or September of 2018. And so uh, I sit down with the the stack of requests and make decisions. But the reason I don't do that until August is because we put our church preaching calendar together in August of the year prior, and uh-huh. I put my publishing calendar together in August of the year prior. So in my, from my way of thinking, my priority has uh, always been the church. I, w- I wanted to honor the church and, and put priority there first. And then second, uh, publishing. And for me, that includes a pretty extensive blocking of calendar time for writing and editing and then marketing and traveling uh-huh. for new books. And so once I have the church calendar, I know what the church is expecting of me. And once I know what the publisher is requesting of me, uh, then what's whatever time is left over 
uh, I will say, okay, I'll, I'll accept that speaking invitation. Now, now I've made, as with any policy, I've made exceptions. You know, if some, sure. uh, you know, I've got a great friend who's, uh, we were in college together and uh, he asked me, he said, I really need to know earlier. And I said, okay, sure. I told him no. I'm just, I told him. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there's always yeah. exceptions. It's not hard, fast, but it's, it's pretty it sure it sure allows me better control over the management of my time. Oh, that's really good to know. Uh, what have you learned about saying no? I ask a lot of guests that. Because, Do you really? Yeah. yeah. What are you learning about saying no? What if what's what's helped you? Do you still struggle with it? I still struggle with it. I still feel bad, especially good friends, if I have to tell them no. But I've really learned uh, to listen. I've tried to learn to read the expression on the face of my on my wife's face uh, because she'll never she doesn't come right out and say you're doing too much, but I can sense it. Mm-hmm. And and so saying no to speaking or to travel is really a good yes to her. And in uh, her love language is quality time. She really likes just to hang out. And so uh, for the year 2020, I was really proud to show her the calendar and say, honey, here's a large block of weeks that I said no to everything uh, just so we can figure out something fun to do. Uh, Now, that's a benefit that comes with being semi-retired, or at least I don't have church leadership roles, so I have more flexibility. Uh, But so uh, saying no is still hard, but it's gotten easier. And uh And then also I've learned that when I say no to some people, they act disappointed, but they've got plan B and I might, I I might be their plan B for all I know. So (laughs) very well could be true. Yeah. You know, who am I to say that I was their first choice? I might be choice number 10. And so they've got it all figured out and uh, it doesn't bother me like it used to. Oh, that's good to know. Well, you got a, yet another book coming out. Of on all things happiness. So yeah. I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Many people wouldn't exactly describe our culture today as a happy culture. And most people, have you ever, I don't know that you've ever done this, but you kind of just scan the faces of people at an airport or in public or at the grocery store. And people don't really look happy. They what, don't, uh, do they? they no, don't. they don't. Have you noticed that? Do you see that? When oh, you huge. Look? Yeah. I also know my default face is not happy. My wife's <laughs> like, you got to smile. I'm like, okay, okay. Apparently I always look upset. So uh, I'm part of the problem. But uh, talk about why you wrote about happiness. Well, you're right. And, and what, you, what we see, uh, what we suspect intuitively is really borne out empirically because research, some, some came across some fascinating research on happiness uh, my, my favorite piece was one that uh, said that only one in three Americans describe themselves as happy. Yeah. Only one in three. And that's a, that to me, uh, I would have guessed one out of two. I would have mm. thought maybe half of us. But one out of three uh, would say that they w- would not describe themselves as happy. Uh, I, I also was impressed with the, uh, the fact that uh, happiness uh, really help, helps us be better people, and unhappiness really takes its toll on us. Uh, healthy marriages have a higher rate of happiness. Uh, un, unhealthy people uh, earn less money. They have mm-hmm. more health health issues. And so I was reading those statistics, uh, Carrie, uh, about the same time that I was preaching a sermon series at our church. 
based on the one another verses in the New Testament. Yeah. Uh, they're the serve one another, love one another, help one another. And so uh, I, uh, I came up with the idea of calling that sermon series A Hundred Happy People. And, mm. and my challenge to the church was, instead of let's just study these scriptures, let's put them to use and keep a journal. We created a nice little journal that people could use. And I said, for, for the next 40 days, uh, take, the, take these one another verses. Put them to use in your everyday life and see if you don't make a hundred people happy. And my and my hunch, I told them, my hunch is there'll be a boomerang effect and you'll be happy as you make other people happy. And it worked. It was really a lot of fun. And so I, I preached the sermon series and then I came across this research and I thought, I'm going to take that sermon series and I'm going to try to marry it to this research and talk about how happiness happens. And the big idea is simply that really happiness happens when we give it away, when we give it away. I know that's not news to any of us, but it's we forget it. We forget it. So it's kind of a refresher course on happiness, that, that, we, that doing good always does good for the doer. It always does. Hmm. And, uh, and, and there's a wonderful research that shows how uh, people who give things away, who, who are benevolent, who are kind, who make other people, who are other-centered, are truly the happiest people. So that could mean that the reason we're so happy, uh, we're so unhappy, is simply because our society has gotten so selfish and me-focused. Mm. And, and all we need to do is shift our mindset and we'll begin to score higher on the happiness test. One of the things I think, I think that's a fascinating correlation between what you read, uh, you know, in statistically and, and what you're seeing in scripture. But I've heard it preached, perhaps I've even preached this, that God isn't interested in your happiness. You know, you hear versions of he wants your holiness, he wants joy, the difference between joy and happiness. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, does God actually care whether we're happy? Is it the pursuit of happiness? Yeah, I, I know, and, and I, I've uh, had a few conversations like that. I really land on the side that happiness is, is, a, uh, is a virtue. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't parse as tightly as some people do the difference between joy and happiness. If they want to, that's fine. I think happiness is that deep-seated contentment, mm -hmm. uh, that, that sense that the lines have truly fallen for me in pleasant places. Uh, I've, I've got a great God I serve. I've got a great future ahead of me. And so I think happiness is, is just that natural byproduct of, of living in communion with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I sense that they're happy. I really do. I, I, sense that the, I sense that there's a happy communion between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's a happy comment to me. Uh, yeah. when, the, when the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, uh, not as a hawk or an eagle, but as a dove, you know, uh, it, and, and when Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit as a, a friend, a comforter, an advocate, here's somebody you can count on to be with you. I see a sense of harmony in the, in the Trinity and community that's, that's pleasant and that's peaceful. And, uh, and so I, I, I think that, uh, I think that there's something to be said about seeing happiness as a, as a virtue that we should aspire and not something uh, that we should apologize for. I do not see that holiness is in competition with happiness. Hmm. I think that I think that 
I think that holiness creates a happiness and it creates a sense of, okay, good, good. Uh, It's unholiness that creates guilt and anger and bitterness and gets us off the path. But but practicing these beautiful disciplines that are part of the holy life uh, leads to a level of happiness that I I think can be contagious. Well, I pick it up whenever we have a conversation. I pick up like a peace and a happiness that that kind of is contagious, Max. What, um, you mentioned selfishness and self-focus. Uh, any other thoughts on why most people, like two-thirds of Americans, are not happy? I, th- I think there's, an, uh, there's a subtle yet very uh, decided upon strategy uh, from the marketing companies to create a sense of unhappiness so that we'll buy their products. Mm. Uh, I, I, I have had a bald spot, Dale, for well over a decade. I know from this angle, you can't see it. But if you're standing behind me, you would think that I'm wearing some type of little hat on the back of yeah. my head. <laughs> you know, uh, for most of those years, I didn't know that was a bad thing. Until about three or four years ago, I saw a commercial uh, telling me that my bald spot needs to be fixed. Hmm. It, it, the goal of that commercial was to convince Locato to purchase some of its product to fix my bald spot. And so all of a sudden I was self-conscious about a bald spot that my wife had never complained about. And that to be honest, I had only spotted once when I was in a convenience store and the security camera happened to be focused on my bald spot. (laughs) And I looked up and there in the monitor was some guy with a bald spot. And I said, that's me. So I was happy. And even to live with it, I laughed about it. I thought, but look at what was happening. So this commercial, this, this series of commercials come along, and I can envision these people sitting in an office on Madison Avenue saying, we've got to convince people like Locato that that bald spot is doing damage to their life or he won't buy my product. Now, you take that strategy and you extend it, you extrapolate it over 10,000 different Everything from skin care to weight loss to the size of pants uh, to pants to the cars we drive. There, there's a multi-billion dollar industry out to convince us that our bald spots are bad. And to do that, they've got to convince us that we're unhappy. So that's kind of a convoluted way of answering your question. Everywhere I look, somebody's trying to make me unhappy. Everywhere I look so that I'll buy their product. So I think that we need to understand that there is a There's a strategy toward happiness that says you don't have to listen to those people anymore, Hmm. but you can get other focused. You can, you can, you can uh, be kind to your neighbor. You can forgive the people who have offended you. You can serve one another, love one another, greet one another, encourage one another, put that to use and see if that doesn't counterbalance uh, these, uh, this deluge of messages that we have to face on a regular basis. Do you think social media has oh. made that better or worse? <laughs> oh, you you know what I'm going to say. It's I just, do. I it's had just to ask, horrible. Though. It's just horrible. It's just horrible. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, actually, somebody told me the other day that Instagram is thinking about removing uh, the number of uh, followers. Uh, so, or, or the or likes. likes. Number likes. of likes. likes. Yeah, they've number done that in Canada, actually. I lost the number of likes. Uh, so it just says, you know, Max Lucado and others, if you like something. Well, what do you think of that? It's really interesting, you know. I think it's made me, it probably, it's been about a month. It happened to my wife's account months ago. 
And then, you know how these algorithm things, they just update your software without your permission and boom, next thing you know, mine are gone. And I think it probably has made me less anxious. It probably has made me, you know, if I follow Lewis Howes or I follow Andy or, you know, yourself, uh, are you on Instagram? I don't. I am. I am. Okay. Well, I've got to follow you then. Um, So we'll link to that in the show notes, by the way. Uh, But, you know, it's not like, oh, I got 600 likes and somebody else got 60,000 or whatever. Now, as somebody who shares what I have online, it made it a little bit harder. But you can actually, if you have a business account, you can click in to see whether anyone engaged with it, whether anyone liked it. And so you can still get those numbers. They're not readily apparent but it's probably a better move because I can get the data. My team can get the tat data we need to reach the audience we want. But I'm not seeing it every time I scroll through to see what my friends are doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say in the end, I was not a fan of it. But I'd say now a month into it, two months into it. Yeah, I think it's probably better. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the uh, fiendish part of the of, uh displaying the number of likes is that we do compare ourselves. You know, there's oh, a tendency, for sure. uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I follow, uh, like Beth Moore. Oh yeah. And yeah. Christine Kane. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I see 60,000 likes or uh, 80,000 likes. I think, what did they say that I didn't say? You know, like my mind goes into <laughs> yeah, this, mine too. into this comparison thing. And uh, that's that's not healthy. It's it, it, well, it's not healthy in any form of ministry. Uh, and so I, I I'm I think that uh, if if we do that, uh, how much more does a and we're supposed to be you know mature and spiritual. How much more does a middle schooler who who's really world their world really depends upon being accepted and liked, and they just can't you know, bless her little heart. She had no way she's going to say something that a hundred people are going to like. And so it, it, it creates this reinforcement of insecurity. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it, that, that really does take happiness uh, away from people. I think it does. And do you find when it comes to social that you're also competing against yourself? It's like, well, when I put it this way, it got a thousand likes. When I put it this way, it got, you know, a hundred likes. Yeah, yeah. I, I like, by the way, I like social media as a ministry tool. I really do. Uh, and But I, I, I think that there is that tendency to try to craft something in a clever way that uh, uh, is probably not healthy. Probably yeah. Not healthy. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. You, you tie happening. I, I was just reading this question. I thought, yes, I do want to ask this. I love how you tie listening into happiness. You, it's, it's not just about speaking. And so when I read that, I mean, if you look at the political landscape and the social media landscape, it's almost all about speaking today. Here's what you should believe. This is what I have to say. Um, how is listening a key to happiness? You know, I have a friend here at our church. He, he one day came up to me. He's a leader in our church. And he said, I've got a great title for a book on leadership. And so I'll throw this out there so you can write it, Carrie. Okay, go ahead. But it's, he said, it ought to be called Leading by Listening in a World Full of Speaking. And, and, and I, I like that. I do. I do. And, and I think listening honors people. 
Uh, you're honoring me today by the way you're listening to me. I can tell that you're you you genuinely care. This isn't just an interview for you. You're you're yeah. you're curious. You're you're a curious person. You're unselfish enough to really stop and listen to what people say. Uh, that's a that's a rare commodity in this day and age. Uh, the ministry of Jesus had some elements of listening to it that I think are really inspiring. When he healed the woman who had the uh, issue of blood for 12 years, remember he was on the, on the way to heal the, the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and uh, she threaded her way through the crowd. She, she was ostracized by the community, but she touched the hem of his garment. He felt the healing go out of her, and he stopped everything, and he said, who touched me? And, uh, and, and she came forward. And I, I can't recall the translation, <laughs> Carrie, uh, but I tell about it in the book. One of the translations uh, has it like this. She came forward, and she told him the whole story. She told him the whole story. And, and imagine here's Jesus. He's on his way to heal a young girl who's dying. The most important man in the town wants him to hurry up. He's got a throng, a mob of people, sure, surely trying to usher him along. But he's, he's not moving. He is not moving until this woman who has been marginalized by society has had a chance to tell her whole story. It's a beautiful picture. And there is a, there is a wonderful ministry that comes. Uh, I, I, I uh, have done just enough counseling to teach me the value of being a good listener and helping people just listen, let them test things as they talk. Uh, I think listening is a great act of service. It really is. Uh, and so I, I talk about that in, in the book, there's something wonderful that happens to me. Uh, I, I'm a happier person if I don't feel like I have to have a quick and ready response to every question that surfaces. Uh, sometimes I'm listening uh, because I honestly don't have a word of wisdom yet, and I'm waiting for the Lord to tell me. Yeah. And, I, and, 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 and I've made the mistake of speaking prematurely and living to regret it. And so if I just listen to the problem or listen to the question or just interact on those, how do you feel, how, do, how does that make you feel uh, level, then inevitably uh, something good happens. I, I, think, I think that's so good. And, and listening is becoming a lost art. It's a, it's a discipline. I've talked about this on the podcast before uh, for me to really let the guest shine and just to keep my interventions to a minimum. And uh, it's it's been guests seem to so appreciate it because you do you, a great job. You do a great job. You do honestly, and I, I mean I'm really not just saying that. Sometimes you do. I'm, I'm I'm on interviews, and I feel like they're trying to steer things in a certain direction, and that's fine if they, especially on popular talk shows, secular talk right. shows, that that that's that's fine. But I love talking to you and and to others that have your skill set. Because you, you communicate a sense of, I genuinely want to know your story. I genuinely want to know your story. Now, in our day and age, that means closing the laptop or turning off the television or, or putting the smart device away. So we're not distracted, right? Uh, and, and that sends a message, too, if we make, make people a priority in that. I think that's becoming uh, more and more of a skill. 
is to silence your devices, to put them away, to put them in your bag or in your pocket and just look at someone in the eye and listen. Um, so thank you. I appreciate that. So the book is called How Happiness Happens. I need to ask you, because I don't think we covered this last time. How, how do you title your books? Like, how do you come up? Because that's always a debate, right? It is really hard, isn't it? I know. It is really hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes the title will, will make itself obvious as I'm writing it. Uh, but most of the time, it, it, it does not. Um, you know, I write my books a year in advance. And so I have finished the book for uh, 12 months from now. It, it's in the hands of the publisher. We've edited it. We've gone through everything. But we were in the final stages, and we still couldn't land on a title. We still could not. For this book and, or for the new one? The no, for one. the new one. Yeah. Okay, 2020. Yeah, yeah. 2020. And so uh, at a meeting of with the publisher, uh, there was, uh, we call it a brand leadership team. We were way down the pike, way down the pike, and I, and I just couldn't land on a title. We had so many different ones. And so we had to, uh, we had a prayer session. We, mm. we did, we just prayed. I said, we got to pray about it and seek the Lord and see if we can't land on a title. I would have liked to say that one was downloaded that day in that very meeting and we all got it. Uh, but actually it took still another two or three weeks. But I seek, I, 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 on rare occasion, I've had a title that I said, this is it. We're not going in a different direction because it is so clear that this is what I'm trying to communicate. Uh, but about four out of five times I've said, this is what I want to do to the publisher, but do you have a better idea? And of those occasions, probably 50% of the time they'll say, no, you've got a great idea. This works. Okay. Uh, about 50% they'll say, we're going to take this to focus groups. We're going to test it and see how it's received. And we end up landing on something eventually. You have a favorite title in all the books, like just just for the pure title, not the content. But you're like, oh, that was a good one. When God whispers your name, when God whispers your name, I, I think my books. We've talked about this before. I, I like to write books for people who don't like to read books. <laughs> uh, my my target audience is probably not the pastoral leadership team that you speak to. Uh, you you really work with people who love books. My goal is to write a book for the person who doesn't like a book, but they see that title and they say, oh, God would whisper my name. So, the, so there's a hope even in the title, hope even in the title. Uh, I'm, hap I'm happy with happy. This <laughs> That sounded funny. I'm happy with how happiness happens. I, yeah. I, I like that title. I think the word happiness is a good word which leads me to my theory on titles. You need one strong word. You need one strong word. Uh, uh, happiness is a good word. Uh, I wrote a book called uh, Anxious for Nothing two years ago. And the word anxiety is a buzzword today. If a lot of people, so, so that's, that's, but then to counterbalance anxious for nothing, which we recognize as a Bible phrase right. out of Philippians 4, but the people that I write for probably would just say anxious for nothing. Ooh, I like that. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a strong word but that, that has a promise that's quietly embedded within it. Uh, and sometimes I've succeeded and sometimes we haven't. Wow, that's good. And the one before this was unshakable hope. Unshakable right. hope. So the word was hope. 
the 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 one I my twenty twenty book is called You Are Never Alone. Oh, and so wow. there's a, there's a promise right there, a, a promise, and and some. It, it, I, I I I want the book to the title to say enough about the book that I'm honest. Yeah. But but to be intriguing enough that they click it on Amazon or open it up or pull it off the shelf wherever they're doing their shopping. Uh, and so that's that's my little marketing. Lesson. No, that's great. I'm fascinated. <laughs> and titling is sometimes more difficult than writing the book, like actually well, we making this call. When you earlier, before the interview, you shared with me your book title, but you said it's, I think you said this is our working title. Yeah, or the working title is Numb, How to Thrive When You're Overwhelmed, Underperforming, Dreaming of Escape, and Ending Every Day by Numbing Out. Quite a phrase, but. Quite a uh, phrase, but those are working these days. Yeah. they when I first got into writing, the idea was a short subtitle. Uh, now you, you'll see on my books, we've got long, longer subtitles. Yeah. Uh, they they give a, a little more message about the book. Finding lasting joy in a world of comparison, disappointment, and unmet expectations. That's yeah. the subtitle. That that's the influence of my marketing team, right there. That's there the you influence. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was Lisa Turkhurst. Uh, kudos to Lisa who helped me yeah. uh, figure that one out, and her and her team as we wrote it together. Max, anything else as we wrap up? Once again, just so refreshing. Well, you make it painless. You really do. Thank you. I'm very honored and, uh, and, and may God bless you and continue to strengthen you and, and, uh, and lead you into just an exciting new season of uh, revelation and understanding and impact. Well, and likewise to you too. I'm excited for you. Oh, and do tell people, you're going to write some more kids' books. Is that true? <laughs> I love kids' books. Yeah. So my new, my new kids' book, this will be a 2020 book, is called uh, Where'd My Giggle Go? Where Did My Giggle Go? And the opening uh, line is, um, I woke up this morning with a frown on my face. I looked for my smile. I looked for all over the place. I looked high. I looked low. I looked out in the snow, but I could not find it. Where'd my giggle go? <laughs> and and I, I love that kind of writing, kind of the Dr. Seuss uh, engagement fun. Uh, and so I'm going to do a whole series of books called the Giggle Series. Uh, and and I'm, I'm really pumped about those. Oh, that's great. Well, that's going to be a lot of fun. And again, as we said last time, you know, You Are Special has just become this uh, incredible book that you didn't want to write because you were at the end of your contract. And <laughs> isn't it funny? The things God yeah. uses to find you online. The easiest places are where we're uh, yeah good website. Yeah. Uh, look look for wanted posters uh, or parole officers <laughs> shop. <laughs> no, maxlocato.com is the best right. place. Yeah. yeah, and then you are on Instagram. Is it just I Max am? Lucato? I am. Yes, yes. I'm on Twitter. I don't do uh, uh, Twitter. And I'm on Facebook. So I'm okay. I'm in there. I'm in there. I we're may not link to all I'm of doing. it. I'm going to follow you on Instagram today. Max. Hey, bud. Thank you so much. All the very best. Thank you. Well, that's so warm and so wonderful. One of my favorite things is, you know, I get to meet a lot of leaders, a lot of leaders that, that frankly, a lot of people don't get to meet. And uh, so often, not always, but so often, they're exactly what you hope they would be or better. And Max fits into the or better. High expectations always exceeded. And uh, everything we talked about is in the show notes, including transcripts. And uh, you'll see the video for what we have too on our YouTube channel. We are building a little archive there. So head on over to YouTube, search Carrie Newhoff, and you'll find um, 
Yeah, and increasing a growing number of leadership podcasts there. Remember, if you're on the road this year, anywhere near Pittsburgh, drop by the Future Forward Conference. I am going to be there October 1st and 2nd. You can go to futureforwardchurches.com forward slash the conference to register. You get a discount when you bring your group and you should bring your team. And also Pro Web Fire, their special of a free custom website, all that stuff expires at the end of September. So head on over to prowebfire.com forward slash carry 2019 where, uh, yeah, you can get that free website if you act now. So we are back in just a couple of days. Subscribers, you know that. You get this stuff for free, delivered automatically to wherever you listen to your podcasts on whatever platform you listen to them. And you're going to be grateful for this one. I sit down with New York Times bestselling author David Platt, and he talks about, um, well, we kind of go all over the place. And we, we talk about why all the objections to Christianity on like hell, suffering, eternity, and all the hard questions haven't led to his deconversion, even though he's really engaged them, and what needs to change among people to really impact the world. It's a fascinating conversation. Here's an excerpt. Like when I read atheist scholars talking about uh, good and evil in the world and how we are uh, products of our DNA and we just dance to its music, I think that's... That's the last thing I'm going to say to a, a girl who's been trafficked like this. Like, I'm sorry, like your DNA, his DNA is just dancing to it. And in the end, it's all going to be, uh, it's not, not going to matter. You just had a bad lot. Like, that's not true. Like, there's justice that will reign in the end. And uh, there's a good God who wants his love to be and hope to be made known about among in that little girl's life. And I want to be uh, a part of making that good news known to her. And so... Uh, Anyway, when I, I, I go down that road, I go down a road of uh, Buddhism, like try harder and harder and do better. I mean, when I mean, I'm talking to people in these mountains and they're, they're like hope is that their next life is going to be better because they burn enough candles uh, in this life. Like, and I just, I don't see uh, that which is true or good. And, uh, and I believe Jesus is true and he's infinitely good. That's happening in just a couple of days when episode 291 drops. Hey, subscribers, thank you so much for being so faithful to this podcast. If this has helped you, please share it with people around you. And we want to get more interactive. So starting in October, uh, I will be taking your questions around this point of the podcast toward the end of the podcast with a new feature we're calling hashtag Ask Carrie. So go on to the socials, ask your question, use the hashtag Ask Carrie. Me and my team will comb social media pick up all the questions and I will do my best to answer as many as I can, one per episode. So make sure you ask those questions now. We are getting ready to record even as we speak for the October episodes. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being so generous. Hope to see you on the road this fall. And in the meantime, I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.